You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. Acts chapter 26, verse 12 to 18. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests. About noon, Your Majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint to you, appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them that I will show you in what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue from both you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes, so they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people, who are set apart by faith in me. You know, sometimes people will persist in doing something despite it being a really self-destructive thing to do. Do you ever know people like that? Are you ever a person like that? There's a story uh, from 2015. Uh, The person's name is Patrick. He's a pilot, all right? Pilot Patrick, it's it's a story about. He was 52 and in America, often what pilots might do if they want to buy their own small plane is they might buy it sort of at a, a city one side of the country and then they will um, fly the plane back, hopping from airport to airport across the country, refuelling their small plane as they go. So it's sort of called hopping, apparently. And um, this particular pilot, Patrick, he was licensed actually to fly commercial Uh, aircraft and he had about 10,000 hours of flight time and he even had an instructor certificate. So he knew planes, he knew flying, he wasn't a beginner, he wasn't a novice. He was a bit of an expert actually. And so he bought a plane across one side of the country and he was in the process of hop flying it back uh, across to his home city. Um, But during the first two takeoffs on his way home, aviation fuel began to um, enter the cockpit and kind of slosh around his feet. Quite a bit of aviation fuel, obviously. Now, by the time he got to the third airport, he decided to call a, a, a mechanic, a, pilot, a plane mechanic, uh, familiar with the airplane, and he discussed this little problem he was having of fuel leakage. And... Uh, he, he said, oh, you know, I've already had someone else check out the plane and they said it was, there was nothing wrong with it. However, this particular mechanic that he was talking to uh, wasn't buying that story. And reasonably enough, this uh, mechanic recommended not flying the plane until it was looked at and the issue was resolved. Did pilot Patrick listen? No. no. Uh, 
this particular experienced pilot decided to ignore the mechanics recommendations and said he's going to fly the plane anyway. But as a concession to safety, <laughs> uh, he would fly with the electrical system offline. And so this is referred to as flying in the dark with no instruments. Uh, Pilot Patrick's decision was especially baffling because the, air, the aircraft was obviously newly purchased and its trustworthiness hadn't yet been established. Anyway, uh, during every, um, so, so just to recap, so during every takeoff, the cockpit got a, a shower of aviation fuel. Uh, Patrick had to ask someone if that was a bad thing or not, and he was told in no uncertain terms to stop flying the aircraft. And his response to all that was essentially, nah, I've got this, I'll be all right. And um, can you guess what happened? <laughs> well, he took off from the third airport but made a sudden swift turn and crashed, exploding into a fireball. And um, the investigation committee that uh, investigated uh, states that the pilot was likely distracted by fuel entering the cockpit and failed to maintain adequate airspeed as he turned to the airport to rectify the fuel problem, resulting in an aerodynamic stall and spin. So Patrick, despite some very obvious warning signs that um, someone with far less experience uh, would, would know is a clear sign to stop, pivot and, and, and go home and stop, uh, continued obstinately to, to uh, do this despite uh, his own demise, to the point of his own demise and destruction. Uh, a bit of an extreme story, but as humans, the thing is we actually have a tendency to behave like that, don't we? We have a stubborn tendency to think, I've got it, I'm in control, I know what I want to do and I'm going to do it my way. When we ignore the advice of our mechanic, who just so happens to be Jesus, we make life difficult and destructive for ourselves. And it's what John Tyson calls misliving. And here's a quote from John Tyson. He says, We live at a time in history. Maybe I didn't put that quote in. That's okay. There it is. We live at a time in history when everyone seems to be seeking a full and a fruitful life, and yet people in our world seem to be destroying or sabotaging their lives at a rapid pace. Nobody plans to shipwreck their lives. We all believe that our way of life will end well. But the sum of our choices and the fruit of our life can catch up, and it's often disappointing, if not destructive, without God. And so today's focus, it's, it's really this. This is today in a nutshell. We hurt ourselves when we resist God's plan for our lives. And I think that's true both at an individual level, but it's also true at a human society-wide level. God has designed this world, he's designed you to, to flourish if we follow him. If we look to him, if we're united in loving relationship with him, if we're filled with his, his life and his power, and when we step into God's plans for our life, we can live that full and that fruitful life. The opposite of doing that 
is to live a, a futile life where we strive, we struggle, we kick, we complain and we blame. And I'm sure we all know others like that. But I guess today what I want us to reflect on is, are we ever like that? I think it's worth noting, many people don't see anything wrong with the life trajectory they're on. Pilot Patrick, he was quite happy to keep flying his plane, wasn't he? That's what he wanted. His goal, his aim, it was to fly that plane home. Um, but uh, ordinarily that would be a great goal, except the plane happened to be leaking aviation fuel. In today's passage, we see the, uh, the Apostle Paul, or Saul as he was known uh, during his conversion, he was quite happy with his initial life goals, which was to be a great Pharisee. It was to destroy those Jesus-following heretics. He was okay with that life path. He didn't want to change. He wasn't looking for Jesus, was he? Jesus was looking for him. Jesus interrupted him and, and, and pointed him in a whole new direction. And so today, would, would you be open to God interrupting you? Because I, I'm pretty certain we're all on a, a trajectory, we're all heading where we think we're heading, but are you open to God interrupting you? You know, when we're open to God speaking into our lives and and guiding our ways and, and guiding um, uh, us with his purposes and his plans, that's when we get to live that full and that fruitful life that, that Jesus has promised. And so even though right now you might be sitting there going, you know, I'm okay with, with where things are at, thank you. I just want to say, will you be open to a Jesus interruption today? Let's have a look at chapter 26 together and you might like to follow along on your, in your Bibles or on your phones. The context of chapter 26 is that Paul is in Jerusalem and the Jews are wanting to kill him. He's preaching again that Jesus was re resurrected, that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the Saviour and the Jews don't like this. And so he's stood trial and the Roman authorities can't find anything wrong that he's done. They don't really quite know what to do with him because they can't see that he's done anything wrong, but the Jews are very upset. And the Roman authorities don't want to upset the Jews too much. They kind of want to stay in favour with the Jews. And so they're in a bit of a bind here. They don't know what to do with Paul. And in chapter 26, we see Paul, he's speaking his defence to King Agrippa. And what he shares here is a wonderful retelling of his conversion on the road to Damascus. And so the first thing he, he, he says in this story is he says he had a purpose and he had a calling that he was pursuing. And it was, it was his calling. It was a calling of his own making, not Jesus'. And so in 26 verse 9, he says this. He says, Indeed, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things against the name of Jesus of Nazareth. 
And that is what I did in Jerusalem with authority received from the chief priests. I not only uh, locked up many of the saints in prison, but I also cast my vote against them when they were being condemned to death. By punishing them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And since I was so furiously enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities. With this in mind, I was travelling to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. So you can see there he had a pretty determined calling. He had a pretty uh, set life trajectory. He knew what he wanted and he was on point to get that. But again, it was his calling, not, uh, not one that Jesus had given him. The second thing we see there in that passage uh, is Jesus comes and he interrupts him. And he tells Paul, or who was Saul at that stage, you've been pursuing the wrong thing and it's hurting you. 26 uh, verse 14 uh, when at midday along the road, Your Excellency, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and my companions. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It hurts you to kick against the goads. And we're going to drill into that in a bit but it's a bit of an odd phrase, isn't it? It hurts you to kick against the goads. But basically he's saying, Paul, you're heading the wrong way. You're doing the wrong thing and it's hurting you. And then the third thing that we see in that passage is that, that Jesus, after he interrupts Saul, he gives him a new calling and a new purpose. So verse 16, but get up, Jesus tells him. Get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you to serve and testify to the things in which you have seen me, and to those things in which I will, um, those and to those in which I will appear to you. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified in faith by me. So Jesus gives him a new purpose, gives him a new calling in life. This now is what I want you to do, he says. And then the fourth thing we see is that um, Paul is obedient to that new calling. So verse 19 after that, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but, de but I declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout the countryside of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do deeds consistent with repentance. So here's the main point in all of that in that passage. Jesus came and interrupted his plans and saying that the things that you are doing, they're futile and you're only going to hurt yourself and you know what? You're not going to get what you want anyway because, he says, it hurts you to kick against the goads. Now, if there's any phrase in the whole of Book of Acts that catches my attention, that makes me go, what's that? It's that phrase right there. It hurts you 
to kick against the goads. It's a bit of a sticky phrase, isn't it? You can't help but sort of try and imagine what on earth is going on there. And of course, it's an idiom. It's a, it's a figure of speech to kick against the goads. Us Aussies, we love, we love idioms, don't we? The Macquarie Dictionary Word of the Year shortlist has some new idioms that have made their way into our language in 2022. Do you want to hear some? Pirate trail. Pirate trail. It's a new idiom. It's uh, it's a trail established or constructed without the required permission used for mountain biking. I'm like, you know, to use it in a sentence, Steve and his friends establish a new pirate trail. All right? It's a good one. Here's another um, new idiom from uh, 2022. Actually, I was having a conversation with someone earlier about this. Yes, skin hunger, skin hunger. It's the desire for loving or friendly contact, physical contact with one another. And of course, it's been birthed out of, you know, being in social isolation. So skin hunger. And then uh, the third new idiom that us Aussies have constructed is, you might have heard this one, the spicy cough. Anyone here had the spicy cough? COVID-19. COVID-19 is that one. So anyway, idioms. So to kick against the goads is an idiom from uh, ancient, ancient Greece, ancient Greek idiom. And it's used to refer to someone who foolishly resists divine direction and experiences suffering as a consequence. And you can see there in our picture that was there, a goad is a sharp, pointy stick, all right? And it's this stick that a farmer uses to prod a stubborn ox in the direction he wants it to go. And what often would happen is the ox resists and, and stomps or, or kicks back at the stick and at the farmer. Of course, it's going to hurt the ox, isn't it, to kick at this pointed stick? Uh, the, the word hurts there implies sort of uh, something quite harsh or violent, a sort of a battle. It hurts you, all right? Other translations, if you have a different version of the Bible here, you might actually see uh, instead of it hurts you to kick against the goads, you might actually see uh, translators as it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And, and this, this, this uh, word hard, this word hurts, it's also the same word that implies stiff-necked. And if you're familiar with your Old Testament, the Israelites were often referred to as stiff-necked people. And if you imagine, a, again, a, an ox that's, that's harnessed up, or even for us it might be easier to imagine a horse that's in a harness and, and the, the rider is trying to steer the horse with this harness. And if the horse has been stubborn and obstinate and doesn't want to follow the master, what's it going to do to, to resist the reins? It's going to stiffen its neck, isn't it? It's going to harden the muscles in its neck. And so that's where we, we get this word, um, it, it, it hurts or it's, it's hard for you or stiff-necked, okay? It comes from this... Uh, this imagery of an animal resisting the, 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 the steering or the guidance of its farmer or its master. Uh, so the implication of this is that, that it's about being stubborn 
and obstinate and difficult to your own detriment, to your own detriment. And so when Jesus says to to Saul, otherwise known as Paul, why why are you persecuting me? When he he questions him about that, it's not a, a sort of a, oh, Paul, why are you picking on me? Why are you hurting me? It's it's not a stop it, it's not fair sort of context. It's it's why are you persecuting me? Do you know how how foolish that is? Do you you understand, Paul, who I am? I'm the Lord. I'm God. All authority on heaven and on earth is, is, is given to me and so it hurts you. And it's hard for you to kick against my rule and my reign and my plans, my purposes. Jesus is basically saying, just stop fighting me, Saul. Stop resisting my plans. Stop resisting me because it's a really self-destructive thing to do. You know what I love about the good news? What I love about, about the message of Jesus, what I love about God's heart and God's love, is that he doesn't just say, stop it. He doesn't just say, stop it, um, Saul, without giving him something new. He doesn't just say, uh, no to us, without giving us a, a new way to live. He doesn't just leave us to figure out on our own a better way to live. And so he doesn't just say, well, stop sinning. He says, receive grace. And he doesn't just say, repent. He says, Receive forgiveness. And he doesn't just say, you are broken and you are lost. He says, come near to me. Come and be my adopted son and daughter. He doesn't just say, you are living in darkness. He says, I'm the light. Come and live in my light. He doesn't just say, put to death your old nature. He says, come and be transformed and made new in me. He doesn't just say, you you are dead in your sins. He says, come and be born again. God never says no, stop, don't, without offering us something better, something righteous, something good in exchange. Beauty for ashes. And, and so we see here that when Jesus comes to Paul and says, no, stop, it's with a heart of love. It's with a heart of love and it's, 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 it's with a heart that offers him something better, something more and something good. And he says, you're going to serve me. You're going to be my mouthpiece. You're going to speak on my behalf and I will use you to open the eyes of people who are blind to my light, people who are blind to my life and my truth and my ways and and I'm going to use you to open their eyes. And you know what, amazingly, or or maybe it's not amazingly, but, but, but Saul turns from his own desires, turns from his own plans. He he does this complete 360 and he takes hold of this new mission and he stops fighting against God 
and he, he steps into the calling and the purposes that God has for him. And the question I have, the challenge I have for you, maybe even particularly for those ones who are colouring in right now, the question, the challenge I have is, is do we say yes to that better way that Jesus offers us or we, do we fight and kick and pull against it? Because it hurts you to kick against the goads. And, and I reflect and I've spent some time this week Asking God, uh, uh, in my own life, when in, in my life am I kicking against the go? Do I, where in my life am I doing things that are just painfully futile to the point of stupidity <laughs> or self-suffering? And I'm like, God, am I, am I resisting you? Is there, is there an area of my life or some way that I'm not listening or hearing or the, that I'm being stubborn? Or obstinate and, and am I resisting you, Jesus? Show me. Have you ever got a car bogged? And, and are you ever tempted to think, if I just spin those wheels a little bit more, just give the engine some more revs, a bit longer, I just, I just might move forward. It only gets the car more stuck though, doesn't it? Is that ever you? Is that your life? You just think, I'll just try harder, rev a bit harder, just keep going at what I'm doing. If I spin faster, I'll get there. But it just makes you more and more stuck. Challenge for us is, um, you know, God is speaking. God's always speaking. But are we listening? Or are we resisting? Are you are you living in line with God's best for your life? Or do you need to do a 360? Some of you might need to do a 360. Some of you might just need to do a 180. And maybe some of you just need to do a 45 degree kind of pivot. <laughs> and, and when I put this challenge out to you, um, don't let it come with condemnation because that's not Jesus. Here is love. As he says, come on. I have so much more that I have in store for you. I'm offering you something good, something beautiful, something exciting, something really, really exciting. Jesus never offers a boring adventure. I can guarantee you that. It'll be, I mean, it'll be a lot of things. (laughs) And it won't be boring. It'll keep your blood thumping. A few weeks ago, I challenged us to think about what God is calling you to next year, where the Spirit is leading you, and how God might want to grow you, shape you, mould you. What plans and purposes does he have for you today and into the future. And this awesome thought has just dropped into my head. (laughs) I'm going to know, this is great, sorry, but I'm going to know that you are listening to his plans and purposes and calling when every single one of these chairs is filled. That's going to be the sign. I'm going to know. I'm going to know 
that we are all stepping into our calling, our purposes, that you're allowing God to mould you and shape you and make you. And sorry to put the pressure on here, but this is good. When every single one of these chairs is filled, oh no, hey, that we're listening to God. And you'll know too. You'll be like, man, look at that. Jan's listening to God's call and purposes. There's, there's five new people here. Look at that. Robin's been the feet of Jesus in her, in her community. Look, she's got a whole brigade of people in her row next to her. Hey? Well, this is good. This is good. And you'll know that I'm listening to God's plans and purposes when you see a whole row of people next to me, won't you, hey? That's a challenge for all of us, isn't it? It's a challenge for all of us. All right. Um, Don't be stubborn. Don't be stubborn. Don't kick against the goad. It hurts you to do that. Acts closes with a prophecy from the book of Isaiah. Paul's arrived in Rome and he's once again preaching Jesus to the Jews. Some believe, others refuse to believe. And let me read you from Acts 28, 26. So they disagreed with each other and as they were leaving, Paul made one further statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors, ancestors through the prophet Isaiah, go to this people and say, you will indeed listen but never understand. And you will indeed look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their eyes are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might look with their eyes, and listen with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. The Israelites were people who, who perpetually seemed to be kicking against the goad. They'd harden their hearts. They'd, they'd shut their eyes and ears to God's desires and God's purposes for them. And, and they were kicking against him like a stubborn ox would. And there were consequences of that. Instead of fruitfulness and blessing, there was suffering. There was emptiness. There was brokenness. And, and as this series and as this year draws to an end, my hope truly is that, that, that I, that you, that we, his people, his church, his children, his bride, his body, that we're listening to the call and the mission of Acts because it is our call and it is our mission too. It's spoken to each one of us. It's spoken to us as a corporate group. And, and Jesus is calling you, he's calling us to be his voice, his hands, his feet in this world. And unfortunately, in so many ways, the church in so many places has grown tired and dull and complacent. And it is often stubborn and hard-hearted. And, and I, I fear that this prophetic word spoken here at the end of Acts I fear that it might be as true for God's people today as it was when it was first written, first spoken. So my, my hope is that Jesus would interrupt you, that you would hear his call, that you would realise the futility of trying to live your own plans without him, that you would turn to him, that you would live that born-again life, that healed life, that forgiven life, that filled with the power of the Spirit and on mission in this world kind of life.
Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we know so often the condition of our hearts is, is one of complacency or stubbornness. For some of us, maybe it's tiredness. But Lord, we know that you are a, a grace-filled, loving God and we, we know that you come to us and you show us a better way, a fruitful way, a, a full and abundant way to live our lives. And so, Jesus, we want you to interrupt us today, tomorrow, next week. Would you interrupt us, Jesus? Show us when we're off course. Fill us with your, your presence, your power, your grace to, to be able to live a, a life that is on mission and on course for you. Mould us, grow us, form the image of Jesus into us. Change and soften our hearts, Jesus. May we not be uh, stubborn or hard-hearted, but may we, we be soft to you. May we be confident in you. And I just pray that, that, that where confidence is lacking in, in us as a church or as individuals to step into that calling and to step into those plans, I just thank you, Jesus, that you would supply that confidence, that you would supply everything abundantly that is needed for each of your people to fulfil your plans and your calling. And so, Lord, as this year draws to an end, speak into our lives reassure us of your grace that is present for us. Show us where we need to pivot and may we boldly and in confidence step into those things next year. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.